This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. This podcast is sponsored by Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Listen for more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. So beautiful that the other day I was sitting on my deck and I saw a bald eagle fly overhead. Wow. Uh, that's when you live in part of a country where you can sit on your deck and see that. That's a beautiful Very part nice. of the country. You you see now all the we just need you to get to sign the papers to be an American citizen because once you you behold the majesty of the bald eagle with your with your own eyes. D- don't you feel that inner pull to finally, finally become a, 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 a an official citizen of, of a constitutional uh, republic? I, I I feel some of the pull, but you know, I, I have this basic desire to belong to a country where the head of state doesn't embarrass me. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, at the moment, uh, Queen Elizabeth, she fulfills that role. Obviously her successor could dramatically change things. That is possible. Uh, although, but at although, the moment, although if, if it, if it, go, if it bypasses Charles and goes to William, you might be in better hands. I, I think so. I think, I think William looks like a safer pair of hands, right. lovely wife. Of yes. Course, yes. And, yes. Uh, fine children. So, uh-huh. Yeah, we so can- it, it could happen. And that, of course, is the voice of my co-host, 
Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in an equally beautiful part of the country, the Indeed. Shenandoah Valley. We have bears. We have this. We have a bear too, uh, seen by my neighbor, apparently wandering through my back garden at 1 a.m. in the morning. Nice. What my neighbor was doing, videoing <laughs> the back of my garden at 1 a.m. in the morning, is not something that he's there to, to explain just yet. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we have bears, uh-huh. skunks, raccoons. <laughs> I've heard uh, coyotes. Uh-huh. Uh, we we have the lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have um, in the Shenandoah Valley. We have uh, marauding bands of troglodytic cannibals um, that we have to watch out for. Spilling over from West Virginia. They come this? over from West Virginia. Exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. Raiding parties. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's great to be with you all today, and we're going to do what we do every year, mm-hmm. uh, round about this time. We we allow Todd to uh, to speak. <laughs> therapeutically about the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America, which is coming up at this point. This is the moment, the one moment in the year when I'm glad to belong to the OPC, mm. a boring denomination yeah. whose uh, General Assembly, which I've never attended, nice. I have to say, I took a Nazarite vow some time ago, oh. never to attend a General okay. Assembly. Uh, the OPC General Assembly is essentially a business meeting, deals yeah. and appeals and things like that. The PCA, of course, the General Assembly is a manifesto setting, direction <laughs> setting uh, jamboree. <laughs> and it's that that it's that aspect of traditional historic Presbyterianism, ho, mm-hmm. ho, ho, that we wish mm-hmm. to talk about today. Particularly, Todd, this morning, uh, while I was preparing for the show today, I received an email from a friend mm that linked to a letter that is being circulated in advance yeah. of the Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly, uh, calling for uh, love for the brethren. Yeah, and which we're all against. We, we, we are on this program, we're definitely against mm-hmm. love for the brethren. Never ends well. Exactly. Never ends well. Uh, and for uh, a, a, a coming together, it yeah. seems to me, on certain issues that might arguably be putting pressure on confessional subscription mm-hmm. at the moment. Specifically, this letter made the claim that there are conservatives in the PCA claiming uh, that there are progressives in the PCA mm-hmm. wanting to ordain practicing homosexuals yeah. and that this was a lie and that the church really needs to, to rethink how it approaches these subjects yeah. and how brethren speak of each other uh, as it moves into the future. Right. Yeah. If, if you read the letter and you have no idea of the background or the current controversies and points of tension within the Presbyterian church in America, you'd think, Oh, well, this is great. Yeah, absolutely. Love the brothers, be charitable towards one another, assume the best. Um, let's be faithful to our confession. Um, and there's some irony there, but if, if, if you know, however, uh, the, the points of tension in the PCA and our more recent history, say in the last 12 years or so, um, then you know that that letter is, is very politically charged. It, it, it truly is. And that's why, you know, I mean, it was written anonymously as an open letter, uh, but with the invitation for people to add their signatures to it. And I think that they're up to about Maybe five, maybe 500 signatures. Now, to put that in perspective, you know, there are, what, you know, 4,000 or so TEs in 
in, in the PCA. So, you know, TE being teaching elder. Teaching elder yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's not like it's a, it's an overwhelming tide, but, but, but those who sign are, are those who would, you know, more identify as, as quote, you know, progressives within the PCA. It, it, everybody in the PCA knows uh, where, where this letter comes up. And, and part of my problem with the letter is that there is, in my opinion, um, some dishonesty to it. So the example you raise, one of the statements in the letter is, you may have heard, which is very, I think, calculated wording. You may have heard that there are some in the PCA who are, you know, desiring to ordain, quote, practicing homosexuals. Well, the fact is, if anybody has heard that, it hasn't come from conservatives in the PCA. I have not heard a single charge ever made that there's anybody in the PCA wanting to, quote, ordain practicing homosexuals. I've never heard that charge made. Every conservative I know, or traditionalist, how, however you want to refer to them, um, in the PCA, knows that the PCA is not at a, you know, this is not 1920s and 1930s Protestant liberalism we're fighting in, in the PCA. Um, our progressives are not, quote, big L liberals. Um, we, we, we would hope that they never do become that. Uh, so we, we understand that the progressivism that some of us are resisting in the PCA would look to say someone in the PCUSA as nearly indistinguishable from conservatism. But, but we see a, a, a wider gap there. But again, back to this issue of, of the honesty, the relative honesty or dishonesty of the letter, it is statements like that in the letter that are meant to set up and seem to be meant to set up a, um, a false narrative, which is you have these nutty conservatives running around the PCA making lying and dishonest charges like we've got people trying to ordain quote, practicing homosexuals. I've never heard that charge made. I don't know a single person who believes that anyone in the PCA is trying to, to ordain practicing homosexuals. So, you know, just at first reading, I and other guys that I've corresponded with about the letter had that same impression as there's a, there's a straw man being set up here. And it's really easy to set up straw men, very easy to do, but it's, it's fundamentally dishonest. So, you know, if, if you want to warn against some, some, some people in the PCA, then just at least represent their views accurately. Just, just represent their views accurately and then challenge them or, or knock them down, uh, but, but represent them accurately. We all know that there's a problem when somebody seeks to uh, uh, give a narrative of a conflict and neither side recognizes themselves in, in, in the narrative. And certainly, in the case of that letter, um, those of us on the more conservative side in the PCA, we, we don't recognize ourselves in that letter. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things that the the letter does, which is correct but odd, if yeah. I could put it this way, is the letter makes a real plea for things not to be prosecuted via right. blogs, uh, yes. YouTube, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good call, particularly in an era where yes. social media is out of control. Social mm-hmm. media is not an appropriate way for dealing with these issues. But of course, in in setting forth a letter that stands out with 
the standard procedures and protocols for Presbyterians mm-hmm. dealing with conflict, you are actually a symptom of that which you are criticizing right. rather than part of the solution. I would say, you know, if I have a concern with what's going on in my denomination, well, Presbyterianism has systems whereby that can be addressed. You right. can get overtures sent. You can get your presbytery to to draft a formal letter. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of things that can be done with, with real transparency. What you have with a letter like this is it's essentially a petition. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure of the procedural standing of a petition. Right. Clearly it has emotional power. And that's the point. Uh, I and, think. and you know, and it can it can roil up the base, yes. so to speak. But it has no procedural power. Mm-hmm. But it, it does raise, in my mind, a question of, you know, again, we've, we've talked about this before, but what has happened slash what is happening in the PCA? Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to a PCA General Assembly. I was speaking at, I think, at a pre-GA conference for RTS. I think in 2007, mm-hmm. that might have been the assembly when the, uh, it, the federal, federal vision, vision. Uh-huh. stuff was being addressed. Yeah. And when I look back on that era, I won't say I get nostalgic for your denominations, <laughs> but it seems to me, well, federal vision was a pretty substantial issue. You're dealing right. with justification. You're dealing with a category that classic Protestantism knows is important mm-hmm. and knows is worth having a discussion right. about. Now we're in a realm of my read on this letter is what's really going on is, you know, are we going to, can we, can we use the term gay Christian to refer right. to celibate people whose Sin, sinful proclivity is that that's the thing they most struggle with, mm-hmm. same-sex attraction. It, how have we got from an era when I would say fundamental, major truths of the faith? Justification, the sacraments. Justification, mm-hmm. sacraments, et cetera, et cetera, has given way to the fine parsing of how far can we go on worldly identity right. politics and get away with it. Right. Well, I, I think you've captured the frustration of many of us in that statement. We look at the kinds of things that are being introduced, the kind of innovations that are being pushed onto the PCA, and we're saying, no, we don't want that in the PCA. We think that that's out of bounds. We think it's inconsistent with our, with our confession. And so, for instance, that letter represents the side of our denomination that believes that revoice theology, while some of them may not personally be comfortable with revoice theology, they still think it belongs within the big tent of the PCA. And the reason I know that is I've corresponded with a number of our uh, uh, um, progressives, Mm -hmm. some of whom appreciate the revoice theology, some of whom personally have a problem with it, but they've told me flat out, we think that it belongs, quote, at the table could in you, the PCA. I was going to say, could you clarify for listeners, some of whom may not be familiar with yeah. revoice theology, yeah. exactly what that is? Yeah, so revoice uh, was a conference and a ministry that was launched in 2019. Really, it, it's a conference, but it, it's it's they're, they're expanding more than that. But it is it is for those Christians who identify as gay, um, some of them identify themselves as queer, et cetera, LGBTQ um, Christians who believe in holding to the traditional ethic that is um, marriage is, is to be between one man and one woman, and that sexual intimacy is for marriage alone, 
for which case we're, we're thankful for that. We're thankful that they call for faithfulness to, to the biblical sexual ethic. But um, what they've done is they've, t- what we believe they've done is they've tinkered around with um, the doctrine of sanctification, with issues related to human personhood, to the extent that they embrace language like gay Christian, queer Christian, and where they state that while homosexual acts are sinful and homosexual lust, like all lust is sinful, um, that the, the, the homosexual attraction, the romantic homosexual attraction is not in and of itself sinful and has almost a, a, a nearly ontological status in that the person identifies with that attraction so that they would call themselves a gay Christian. Well, again, we're very thankful that they're saying that, that, that we agree in terms of homosexual acts. Um, but what we disagree about does matter. It really matters because it gets into our theology of humanity, what it means to be human, what it means to be male and female, um, what, uh, you know, the, 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 the um, uh, moral status of sexual attraction and all of these kinds of, of, of issues. Plus we see in a lot of ways that this, what's called oftentimes side B homosexuality, in other words, celibate homosexuals, those who call themselves homosexual, they they're attracted as homosexuals, but they, but they don't practice that side B Christianity. A lot of us or homosexuality. A lot of us see that as almost kind of a, a temporary way station towards side A, which would be fully affirming um, because I, we don't think that side B homosexuality gives a sufficient biblical hermeneutic to ultimately resist the, the temptations of what would be full affirming side A homosexuality. Now, now revoice. And the reason why this became such a big deal for the uh, PCA was that the, their, their founding event was a, was a conference that they held in St. Louis in, in uh, the summer of 2018. And it was held at a PCA church, Memorial Presbyterian church in St. Louis. And the pastor of that church, Greg Johnson um, is himself. He calls him, he, he, he's a same sex attracted uh, Christian. And uh, he was a speaker at that event. There were a few other PCA speakers at that event. And um, Greg Johnson has gone on to do a, a rather well-known interview with Christianity today, where he comes out, you know, talks about how he realized he was gay. He's given a floor speech two years ago at our general assembly where, you know, he talked about the fact that Jesus didn't make him straight, but he's, you know, he's remained faithful. And, and uh, uh, he specifically pushed back against um, article seven of the Nashville statement, which simply states that uh, Christians, it's not acceptable for Christians to identify with a sinful impulse or activity. Um, And yet he specifically singled out that article in the Nashville statement as saying, this excludes me. And, And so that's a serious thing to say, I identify as a gay Christian, as a homosexual Christian. Um, and, and so it's, it's become now a very, very contentious issue. So we have those in the PCA that want, uh, the theology and ethic of revoice to have a place in the PCA and others of us who believe it has no place in the PCA. And bottom line is it's going to come down to who has the votes. Yeah. And that brings me to another interesting aspect of the PCA that the OPC, not that the OPC is, is, 
is a perfect church in any by any stretch of the imagination. But the OPC has a delegated assembly yeah. where each presbytery has a certain number of ministers or teaching elders and a certain number of ruling elders that it sends. Each presbytery elects, in mm -hmm. other words, a number of ministers and a number of elders to send to the General Assembly. Mm -hmm. There are a fixed number of delegates at the General Assembly. Yeah. Whereas in the PCA, of course, uh, it's not a delegated assembly in quite the same way. You can effectively, you know, big churches with lots of money can buy a place yeah. for their elders. And that leads, I would imagine, in this kind of situation where, from the outsider's perspective, in increasingly the PCA looks like a zero-sum game between conservatives and progressives. Yes. That there's a sort of arms race yes. uh, or a delegates race whereby the big churches, conservative and progressive, are you know, doing their best to outrun the others mm -hmm. in terms of how many delegates yeah. they can they can buy. And that's an oddly, and I don't mean I, I pull your leg about the alleged Presbyterianism mm. of the PCA a lot. I, I don't mean this in a facetious yeah. way. That's not a very historically Presbyterian sure. practice sure. because that really does allow certain churches for reasons that have nothing to do with their spiritual quality mm -hmm. to exert a disproportionate amount of influence yeah. on the denomination. Yeah. And we're going to have more commissioners at this year's General Assembly than any other in history. So the, prior to this one, I think the largest number of commissioners we ever had was about 1,600. We're already about 2,000 right. right now. That's like the entire denomination of the OPC <laughs> turning up yeah. at PCA. Well, you can, tell, you can tell that, that from, from the, uh, the already the number of registrants at this point you know, is, is evidence of the fact that both sides in the PCA see this PCA as a possible, a potential watershed moment. Yeah. Uh, this this general assembly may well determine um, whether or not um, uh, the PCA is a side B affirming denomination or not. Where where side B homosexuality, the the theology of revoice has a place, mm. um, a seat at the table in 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 the PCA and. And, you know, there's a lot of PCA church members that are concerned about this. Um, Carl, I was telling you earlier, and this is just, this is anecdotal, but it gives you an idea of, of how much distance there is between many of us in the PCA. You know, there's a, 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 a PCA pastor, a teaching elder several years ago. He's, he's pastor of a large PCA church, and he tweeted out on his uh, Twitter platform, congratulations to the LGBTQ community for having the right to marry. And, um, you know, this came from a, P, if I named the church, our folks, non-PCA people would know the church. This is coming from influential, mm. this, this attitude. And when challenged on it, he just simply said, you know, marriage is a societal um, institution, a, 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 a legal institution. And of course, again, for, for a pastor in a, Obviously, never read Ephesians. Exactly, so, but, uh, exactly. It's a religious uh, uh, institution, deeply theological. But, but that I, I use that anecdote, and I have many others. But I use that anecdote to illustrate just how great the distance is between pastors in the PCA, um, where some of us are scratching our heads and saying, "Wow, it's amazing that I'm in a denomination with with men who would publicly congratulate." 
uh, homosexuals on the on the right uh, mm. to marry. Seems very odd. It goes back to something I was saying over ten years ago that with the the young, restless, and reformed revival. I was concerned that there was be a confusion between what is cool and what is true. Mm-hmm. I remember I, took, I coined the word coolvinism, I right. think. And uh, at the time, what I meant was, you know, we're at a moment when it's somehow, it's suddenly cool and trendy to be a Calvinist. Yeah. But the real test is, do you think it's true? Right. Because ultimately, Christianity is not cool and trendy. Mm-hmm. Christianity is, is countercultural. And of course, I was roundly mocked. Derided, etc. You know, word of advice to 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 guys like yourself, Todd. You know, save time. <laughs> Simply agree with me when I say something. You know, you, know, I, I you cut yourself a, a lot of you save yourself a lot of pain exactly. and heartache when Truman says something and you disagree. Just assume that Truman is correct. <laughs> you know, because it'll just be a whole lot less messy. But you know, you know that a prophet doesn't get honor in his own home and in his own time. Yeah, but the PCA is not my own home. That is true. Uh, <laughs> absolutely true. Well, it's going to be. Interesting. I, I, I mean, I fear it's it's going to be contentious. And again, it really does. When to, to like this letter that went out, you know, these calls, you know, let's you know strive for unity. Well, we certainly want to strive for unity, but but not at the price of things that you know of truths that are precious to us. And um, you know, it really does on these things. It really is going to come down to who has the votes. Yeah. Uh, and, and if the PCA is unable or unwilling to exercise discipline over theological matters, um, then, then we've got a problem. I mean, the PCA has exercised discipline on procedural matters, but I'm trying to remember when was the last time the PCA actually exercise discipline on theological yeah. matters. And this is where I think, you know, you've got to avoid what I see as the problem of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. An awful lot of what the Roman Catholic Church has on the books right. is not bad. Right. The question becomes, you know, well, what are you going to do about yeah. the pro-abortion Catholic politicians taking right. mass? Are you going to do anything at all mm-hmm. or are you always going to find a way around it? Right. It's one thing for a General Assembly to pass a statement on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Are you going to discipline the pastors exactly. who contravene that? Now, I know that discipline in the in a Presbyterian situation is rightly complicated. Sure, sure. And despite much of the rhetoric that's been thrown around over the last year or two, rightly loaded in favor of the accused, because sure. we believe that every person is innocent until proven guilty. That's how every single one of us would want to be treated mm-hmm. in a situation where now, we run across We are learning from critical race theory, however that due process and the presumption of innocence is actually an expression of white supremacy. <laughs> so we do have to remember that. And since critical, thank, race theory, thank you for that. And since thank critical race that. theory is getting a hearing in the PCA now, unfortunately, um, which is a whole nother concerning topic, but you know, you, but my, my, if I can just push yeah. back on that, I'm going to say I've never met a critical theorist who doesn't want due process when they're in of the cross. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, one of the, things that's that's interesting on this and you 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 alluded to it um is let's say and, and we've got some good overtures that are coming to the floor the question is whether or not they'll make it out of overtures committee and if they do actually come before the floor for a vote you know what what's going to happen so we could potentially this this year at general assembly pass an overture that will say um the PCA is not going to ordain anyone who identifies as a gay Christian. 
you know that that's that could that that could pass that could become law so to speak in the PCA the problem is and and, and what keeps me from getting too giddy about that is that i doubt very seriously that it would ever actually be enforced because if you're in a presbytery which is largely affirming on that issue they're just they're not going to they're not going to tag you on it it's just not going to happen and so we 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 could very well walk away people on my side of the equation walk away from this ga going good that was a good year for us man we made some good progress in the right direction but no sooner will we think that if that happens then we'll go however we have a terrible track record of actually exercising any discipline yeah you got to uh yeah discipline is hard it's unpleasant nobody likes it the people uh, implementing it take a lot of hits. Yep. But it has to be done in order for church law to, to right. mean anything. Right. Now, so, Carl, I understand that you were thinking about a rather creative um, premium, you know, a giveaway. Yeah, to, we're thinking this listeners. time. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you know, it, it's always great. I love this annual podcast because it always <laughs> it's the one point in the year when I, I, I thank the Lord that I'm not like other men, like this. <laughs> P-C-A-T, what's that term? T-E. T-E. You mean minister of the gospel. Uh, like this P-C-A-T-E over here. Uh, it's, 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 you know, there's not much that I enjoy about the OPC, but not being part of the P-C-A is definitely top of that list. So I'm thinking that as a premium this time, we should be giving away some free memberships to the OPC. I, I need to call our moderator and uh, or general section, but, you know, Go to our website, mortificationspin.org, and enter for a chance to win <laughs> some free memberships to the Orthodox Presbyterian And, and depending on how um, uh, General Assembly goes in a few weeks, it could be a, a huge gain for the yeah. OPC. We yeah. would we would love to have you. Obviously, we will require some act of public repentance for you <laughs> not being OPC in the first place. And I think probably a 10-year probation period <laughs> sure. uh, before we consider ordaining you would be, would be, would be appropriate. Um, and if, you know, if you want to wash my car, it's parked outside, <laughs> sure. that would certainly help. But, well, uh, so who's, is it me wrapping up well, or is I, it you? I, I will just say since, since Carl has so generously provided that, uh, that wonderful premium on, on behalf of his uh, denomination, um, I'll just say uh, thanks to our, our listeners, um, uh, depending on how things go um, at General Assembly, maybe, maybe we'll offer some sort of an update uh, in July or August. Uh, but um, uh, as long as you don't cry on air, <laughs> I can't stand being the presence of a man who's crying. No promises. No promises. <laughs> well, thank you all for uh, listening to us. We look forward to being with you again next time. Again, if you go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, uh, you'll find a place where you can make a, a, a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And you'll also find links to uh, other good materials out there that we think will be um, edifying for you. It was great to be with you. We look forward to next time. Please read the letter I nailed it to your door It's crazy how it all turned out We needed so much more Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
Hello, I'm Jonathan Master, president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. When I look back at what first drew me to the Alliance, it was Dr. Boyce speaking about the great need for reformation and a return to historic Reformed confessions, biblical preaching, and thoughtful worship. Given the changes in our culture since then, that need is even greater today. The church today needs bold proclamation of sound doctrine, clear teaching of the Bible, and worship that is God-honoring and full of reverence and joy. At Greenville Seminary, we aim to meet this need by equipping men for pastoral ministry, men who are courageously committed to the truth, who are Christ-like in their character, committed to prayer, and called to be ministers of God's Word in local churches. If you're interested in learning more about Greenville Seminary, either as a prospective student or as an interested friend, visit us at gpts.edu. Greenville Seminary, equipping preachers, pastors, and churchmen for Christ's kingdom among the nations.